You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Hey, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And if you are a guest today, uh, welcome. So glad that you're here. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And on behalf of our pastors and our members, uh, we're glad that you took time to be with us this morning. Uh, If you uh, would like to learn more about us, um, then there's a little connect card in the back of the seat in front of you. Just grab that. uh, Fill some information about you and your family. Leave it on the seat. We'll collect it and try to serve you, love you to the best of our ability. Uh, my plans have changed this morning. Um, I was going to start uh, a new series today through the book of Daniel, but I had a conversation uh, with a few of our MC hosts last week, and they believe that it'd be best if I revisit a teaching that I've already given to this church, um, because we really believe that this is such an important teaching that if we're going to come out of this pandemic better than we came into it, this is something we've, we have to get. And, and, and that's something right there you might want to even know about our church if you're new here, and it's this. Um, more than we want you to just leave on a Sunday and maybe agree with a topic, like we want you to apply the topic. We want you to, to not just like get this on Sunday, but begin to apply this in your life in the everyday. And so um, if there's ever a teaching we give or there's something we do, you don't understand why we do it or where it came from, um, you can come and, and talk to us and we're going to assume the problem's not with you, it's with us and the way we delivered it. And so we're going to do the best we can to try to come back and share it again and hopefully a, uh, a clearer um, way than we did before. And so um, some of you are like, no, I will not do that because that means you're going to like teach again on the same thing and I don't want to hear another sermon on the same thing. But um, anyways, I... Uh, yeah, I'm excited about this morning. I really believe that what we're going to share today is so incredibly important. Um, how many of you in here are practical people? By the way, like you, you like practical, like you have a schedule, all that. You're going to love this message. The rest of you need this message. You don't love it necessarily, but you really need it. So um, 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We'll start in verse 3. I'm reading from the NIV translation, and as always, the notes for the day is on the Version Bible app. So let me just read verse 3 and 4, pray for us, and we'll dive into it. First or Second Peter, Second Peter chapter one verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Let's just pray again. And as I pray for you, just as you will in your hearts, pray for me. Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for a full, packed first service and people who are passionately worshiping you and just for the faces I get to see in the second service and the opportunity we have to to sing songs that remind us of your goodness and your love. And, And now we get to dive into the scriptures. And I just thank you for giving me the opportunity to teach this morning. I recognize that there is no way that I could possibly minister to the hearts of each person here apart from your Holy Spirit. And so would you, Holy Spirit, right now, as we've already been praying, we, we want more of you. We want you to take these words and take them from just being words on a page. You drive them deep into our souls and use us to transform us more into the likeness of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 
Well, back in November, my wife completed her very first half marathon. There she is. Yep, thank you very much. I don't know why I'm saying thank you, like I had anything to do with it. But um, so, yeah, there she is. She's exhausted at this point, but she's smiling ear to ear. And the reason she was so happy is because it wasn't even a year prior to this that she could not run even a quarter mile without feeling like in her own words, she was either going to pass out or vomit. And so um, I'll never forget, she came in one day, she went running with our daughter Nora, who was seven at the time, and was like, I can't even keep up with a seven-year-old. And she's like, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of being out of shape. I'm tired of just being unhealthy. And so I want to lose weight. I want to get healthier. I want to build up my cardio. And so that's what she did. She went and she began to count her calories and she changed some habits in her life. And um, she started out with walking around our neighborhood. And then she got to where she could run a quarter mile, then a half mile, then a mile. And eventually she got to where she could run this half marathon. And the reason I share that is because as I've been thinking about uh, how my wife changed, and I think about why so many other people do not change, it's got me thinking a lot about how do people change? And not just physically, but spiritually. Like, how do we change? How do we become stronger? How do we become healthier? How do we go from being anxious to being courageous, from being depressed to filled with joy, from, from being ate up with lust to overflowing with love? How do we become the husbands? How do we become the wives? How do we become the parents? How do we become the disciples that we want to be? How do we grow? How do we change? And if you've been around the church for any stretch of time, you know the answer to that question is typically this, the gospel. Just believe the gospel and you will change. Just believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life you could never live, and he died a death on the cross that you deserve to die for your sins, and he rose from the dead and sent you his Holy Spirit. And if you will just believe that truth with your head, then you will change. And in many ways, that's right. I think of the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians where he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And so, yes, if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you believe the gospel, you change. The old passes away, the new comes. You are who you are fundamentally is transformed. In the words of Jesus, you are reborn. You go from being an enemy of God to being his beloved son or his beloved daughter. You receive a whole new family, a whole new identity. You are saved not only from the penalty of sins, but you also are being saved from the power of sin in your life. And so, yes, if you believe the gospel, you can be changed. But here's the problem. My guess is today that most of you, if not all of you in the room, believe the gospel, and yet you still feel stuck in your spiritual journey. There are some of you in the room, you believe the gospel, but you keep looking at pornography. You believe the gospel, but you continue to be impatient with your spouse or your kids. You believe the gospel, but you continue to be anxious or depressed or cynical or controlled by the opinions of others or addicted to this. or I mean, you just fill in the blank. And so the question this morning is, how do we actually change? Like, like, if the answer is not, just believe the gospel and you'll become a better person. Like, how do we actually become the men and women that Jesus wants us to be? And before I get super practical in how I believe that we actually change, look back with me in Second Peter chapter 1, because I want to lay the foundation for where we are going. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, look with me again. Here's what we read. His divine power, talking about God's, His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him 
who called us by his own glory and goodness. And so um, Peter starts right here and he says, look, you don't have the power in yourself to change. And that's bad news. But here's the good news. God has given you his divine power. God has given you, according to Peter, everything that you need to live a godly life. And therefore, everything that you need to become the man, to become the woman you actually want to become. That's what he says in verse 3. Then in verse 4, he says, Through these, he has given us his uh, very great and precious promises, so that um, through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And so not only do you have divine power, but notice, according to Peter, you've also been divided or invited to participate in his divine nature. And so think about it like in John 15, where you remember we taught on this a few weeks ago, Jesus is the vine and you are the branches. And just as a branch abides in the vine, you now, if you've trusted in Jesus, abide in him. His living sap, his very DNA, think about this, is flowing right now through your veins. So you can, no matter who you are or where you come from, you can change. You can become like Jesus. You have divine power. And you get to participate in his divine nature. But let's keep reading. Verse 5. For this very reason, because you have the power, because you're in the divine nature, for this very reason, make every what? What's the word on the, on the screen? Make every what? Effort. If you write in your Bible, some people don't like to do that, but if you like doing it, circle that word, effort, underline it, do whatever you need to do, put a star beside it. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and a knowledge, self-control, and a self-control, perseverance, and a perseverance, godliness, and a godliness, mutual affection, and a mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive. Is there anybody in, in here that hates being ineffective and unproductive? If you will possess these qualities in increasing measure, They will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now, there is so much in there that, that we could talk about today. But for our purposes this morning, here is all I want you to see. According to Peter, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have everything that you need to live the life that you have been called to live. Whenever uh, my wife and I uh, have a greenhouse in our backyard, and when we got it, it came with like a bazillion pieces. I don't know if a bazillion is a word or a number, but that's how many pieces were in this, and you laid it all out. In order for us to be able to build this greenhouse, not one piece could be missing. We had to have every single piece, and fortunately we did, and now we have a greenhouse. What Peter is saying here is, listen, you have every piece that you need to build yourself up to become the person God's called you to be. That's what we see here. But notice this. Because you have everything that you need to live the life that you have been called to live, what we can then conclude is that if you fail to change, if we fail to grow, if we fail to mature, according to Peter, it's not because then we are lacking the power to change, it's that we're lacking the effort to change. I want to say that again. If we are not changing... It's not because we're lacking the power that we need, the resources that we need to change. It's that we're lacking the effort to change. This is what Peter is getting at and when he says, if you want to live a godly life, you want to grow, you want to mature, verse 6, you have to put in an effort. And guys, just to be clear, this is not works righteousness. 
This is not legalism. In the words of Dallas Willard, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, right? Earning is about, uh, it's all about really kind of this condition of the heart. It's about an attitude, right? Effort is more about an action. So this is not legalism. This is not works righteousness. Peter is not saying, here is a way that you earn your salvation, What he is saying is this is how you work out your salvation to become the person God created you to be. And this is the same thing that the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, for example, in verse 12. He says the following, work out your salvation, your own salvation, by the way. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, okay, wait a minute. Which one is it? Is it my work or is it God's work? And what's the answer to the question? Yes. Yes, as St. Augustine once put it, without God, we can't, but without us, he won't. If you want to change, if you want to grow, if you want to mature, listen, guys, you have a work to do and God has a work to do. And if you will partner with God in that work, the promise is you will, from the inside out, be completely transformed. And this is what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where he says that we all with unveiled faces are being transformed. There's the word, into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. The Greek word that Paul uses here for transformed is the word uh, metamorpho, which is where we get our English word from metamorphosis. And metamorphosis, if you remember from uh, school, right, is the process, the radical transformation, right, that, that a caterpillar, or that, that takes place for a caterpillar to go from being a caterpillar to being a butterfly, right? That's metamorphosis. And that's kind of where, what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, um, you can have that kind of radical transformation in your life. Like a, like a caterpillar to a butterfly, you can experience from the inside out this kind of deep change in your own life. And therefore, the question is, on a ground level, on a practical level, how do we do this? How do we change? Like, how do we become the men and women we long to be? And the answer to that question is spiritual formation. And what you need to understand about spiritual formation is this, guys. Please listen. Spiritual formation is not a Christian idea. It is a human idea. And here's what I mean by that. You are every second of every day being formed. You are being changed whether you want to or not. Um, and, and you are right being changed by many different things. And one of the ways we can sum this up is if we go to the unintentional spiritual formation paradigm, which I know is a mouthful, and if you come up with a better name for it, let us know. But what I want you to see is everything that is on the screen right now are things that are forming you every minute of every day, whether you realize it or not, for better or for worse. And so, for example, look at the top of that triangle. You are, we are all changed by the stories that we believe. In the words of Bobette Buster, who is a Hollywood screenwriter, we are narrative creatures, which means you cannot not try to make sense of life except through a story. So let me give you an example. There was a story out there that COVID-19 is a conspiracy. Anybody else heard that? It's not real. There's also a story out there that like masks don't work, right? That is a story. There's also a story that COVID-19 is very real and that it kills people and that masks can help keep you safe. Now, both of those are stories that we've heard. Depending on which story you believe, will that or will that not change your life? Will it change your life? Yes, thank you right? Like it will change how you live. Here's another example. Let's use sex as an example. Just because it'll help get people's attention who might be falling asleep right now. So um, 
There is a story out there that says sex is basically play for grown-ups, that we are nothing more than animals with time and chance on our side, so just do whatever feels good in the moment, right? Sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want. That is a story that our culture is constantly feeding us. There is another story that says this, sex is actually like fire. It's very powerful and it's very good, but it has to stay within the boundaries of marriage because if it doesn't, it will burn the house down. That, again, is another story. Now, depending on which story you decide to believe, will that or will that not change your life? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the feedback. Now, all I want you to see is this. We believe stories about a lot of different stuff. We believe stories about our finances. We believe stories about our marriage. We believe stories about relationships and conflict management and school and businesses and parenting and what kind of church we should be a part of. We are all believing stories, and those stories end up giving us a script that we live into, which sets the trajectory for where we spend the rest of our lives. Okay? So we're all formed by the stories we believe. Secondly, Look at the bottom of that triangle. We are formed by our habits. There's been a lot of work done on this, uh, especially you can go read the New York Times bestselling book, The Power of Habit. And here's the idea. You are just a little bit more than the cumulative effect of your habits. Every time that you do something, it does something to you. For example, I take a drink of water. I just did something to the water. And guess what? It did something to me, right? Um, Every time that you pick up your phone, and you scroll through your phone, you're doing something to your phone, but it's also doing something to you. You turn on Netflix, you're doing something to that TV, it's also doing something back to you. You eat that piece of chocolate cake, right? And then get another slice, and maybe even another slice. You're doing something to the cake, but it's also doing something back to you. Am I clear on that? So every time you do something, it does something to you, and over time, that shapes you into the man or woman you do or do not become. Third, Not only are we shaped every day, whether we realize it or not, by the stories we believe and the habits we live into, but we're also shaped by our relationships. My dad used to say to me, Jared, son, you show me the people you're running with and I'll show you the man you are or the man you will become. And I'd be like, whatever, dad, that's not true. And then I would go to school and I would set up the lunch table with people who look just like me and act just like me or into the same stuff that I was into. Why is that? Because, same thing, you go into high school cafeteria today, right? Cheerleaders with cheerleaders, athletes with athletes, probably band with band, fantasy people and fiction with all, like, what is that about? Whoever you hang out with, you become like, for better or for worse. You look like them, you act like them, you think like them, you vote like them, etc. So we're all changed by the stories we believe, the habits we live into, our relationships. And then finally, in the center of that, there's an environment that we are swimming in. Here's the idea here. Guys, believe it or not, if you grew up in Paragould, Arkansas, you're going to be just a little bit different than if you grew up in Portland, Oregon. Or Melbourne, Australia. Or San Francisco, California. Right? Like, depending on the environment that you grew up in, that will change you. And here's, I could say so much more on that, but here's just what I want you to see before I move on. Please hear this. All you have to do tomorrow morning is wake up and you will be changed by that stuff. You don't have to plan it. You don't have to schedule it. All you have to do is walk out of this building, go with the flow, live your life with zero intentionality whatsoever around your spiritual development, and you will be transformed by the world more into someone or something that I promise you, you do not want to become. And so the question is, how do we counter that? How do we offset that so that rather than you accidentally looking like someone or something you don't want to look like, you are intentionally formed more into the image of Jesus? And as I think about that question, I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, many of you I know have heard us talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer before. 
right before World War II, the Nazi empire was at its height. The church in Germany was corrupt. And what did Bonhoeffer do? He chose 120 theology students, took them out into a wilderness, and taught them the way of Jesus. It's like, I'm going to make disciples who make disciples. And eventually his brother, who was not a Christian, came up to Dietrich, and he was like, bro, you're being weird. Like, you were like, had a promising career. Like, please move back to the city, get a normal job, find a girl, put a ring on it. Like, just please stop being weird. And as the story goes, Dietrich got with his brother in a boat. They went across this lake that was kind of like where this little area was where he was training these disciples. They climb up on a hill and they overlook this Nazi training camp for Hitler youth. And Dietrich looks at his brother and he says, hey, you see what we're doing over here? That has to be stronger than what's being done over there. Like this has to be stronger than that. And guys, the same is true when it comes to our spiritual formation. Please hear me, all right? Listen, what we are trying to do as pastors in here has to be stronger than what the world's trying to do with you out there. Does that make sense? Like, like what we are doing or trying to do here in our, in our discipleship to Jesus has to be stronger than the stories or the lies we are being fed by the world, the habits we are living into, our unhealthy relationships, and our environment. So again, how do we do this? How do we counter everything that we just saw so that rather than being deformed by the world, we can be formed into the image of Jesus and therefore our true and better self? And here's the answer, okay? If you're ready, are you ready? Here's the answer to the question. And by the way, if you don't want to grow, if you don't want to change, if you feel like you've already kind of arrived, you can go to sleep or some of you back to sleep at this point or just check your phone. Like this isn't going to be relevant to you. But if you're like, no, I need to change. Like I see a gap in my life. I'm not the man. I'm not the woman I want to be. Then take notes, write this down. If we want to change, if we want to become more like Jesus, let's go to the next slide where we see the side-by-side bill. Everything that you see on the right side of the screen has to counter everything we just talked about on the left side of the screen. And so, for example, if we want to change, we want to grow, we have to counter the stories we believe with the truth. We have to counter our bad habits with practices from the life of Jesus. We have to counter unhealthy relationships with the Christ-centered community and environment with the Holy Spirit. If you want to change, you want to grow, again, look, look at the screen. You have to counter the stories that you're believing, and you're all believing stories with the truth, habits with practices, relationships with community, and the environment with the Holy Spirit. So if you were to look at me, guys, hey, I want to be very clear on this. Um, If you were to come up to me after the service and you were to say, Jared, how do I change? How do I grow? How can I become more the person I know God wants me to be? I would look you right in the face, and here's what I would tell you. You have to have truth, practices, community, and the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. Jared, how do I change? How do I stop being so anxious? How do I become more patient? How do I become more loving? How do I become more like Jesus? I'd look you right in the eyes and I'd say, you need truth, you need practices, you need the community, you need the Holy Spirit. I actually had our entire first service repeat that with me because some of them were like looking at me like they didn't know what I was saying. Is that clear? Is that part clear? It is. Just clear to Chuck. Is it clear to others? Okay, all right. I don't want to have to teach on this again for a while, okay? I'm teaching on this again because I had one MC last week that was like, every time you put this on the screen, I'm so confused and I don't have any idea what it means. So again, you want to change? Here it is. Go to the next slide. Uh, the, uh, yeah, there it is. You need truth. You need practice. You need community. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me just quickly walk through each of these kind of one by one, draw some implications, and then we'll be done. So first off, if you want to change, you need truth. Where do we find truth in the world of fake news? Right here. 
As disciples, we believe this is where truth is found. It is found right here in the scriptures that point to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. This is, guys, the true and better story that you have to begin to take inside of you if you want to live out a true and better story for yourself. And guys, I'll just tell you, this is much harder than it seems. Because there is a major difference, please hear me, there is a major difference between embodied truth and professed truth. The church has a long history of professed truth. I believe that, but not embodied truth. And one way to think of the difference between embodied truth and professed truth is think about a ropes course. How many of you in here have ever been on a ropes course? Raise your hands. Okay, several of you. Have any of you ever been to the uh, ropes course at Crowley's Ridge? Okay, yeah. So you know, if you get out to the ropes course at Crowley's Ridge, eventually you come to a place... And they put like this little, it's like a diaper, basically. Like this diaper harness on you with these little ropes. And they tell you to climb up this light pole 50 feet up into the air and then walk across a piece of limber. And they're like, trust us, if you fall, you won't die. Right? Which is kind of scary because you're like, there's Gary down there holding the ropes. You have no idea who Gary is. He's like, trust me, I got you, man. You're good. And so like, you get up on this thing. And even though mentally, you know, okay, if I fall, I'm not going to die. You have an embodied experience in that moment. And what your body tells you is that's not true because there's this thing called gravity. And what gravity has told you your entire life is that when you fall, it hurts. And the further you fall from, the more it hurts, right? We've all experienced that in our bodies. And so what happens is, is no matter what we believe in our heads, we can't get our feet moving. And, and here's just an example of this. I showed this several years ago, and I thought now would be a good time to bring this back up. Here's Pastor Adam trying to walk across a piece of limber 50 feet up in the air. And I want this to, to be an example of where we're going. So pay close attention. Make sure the volume is, is turned up. <clears throat> There he goes. <laughs> Look at that. Way to go, Adam. He eventually made it across. So um, I just want to say good job, buddy. <clears throat> now, here's the deal. Adam knew logically that if he fell, he wouldn't die. But here's the thing. It didn't matter what anybody said to him. By the way, Matt Jackson, good to see you in the back row. That was you, wasn't it, on the video going, you can do this. Is that you? Oh, wasn't you? Okay, forget it. Thanks for nothing. Um, but there was somebody that kept saying, you got this, you can do it. Way to go. Was it you, Chuck? And so, good job. It didn't matter what Chuck said to him. It didn't matter what the instructor said to him. It didn't even matter what Adam said to himself. He could have recited, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're not. He could have sung a song like, I'm not going to die. Right? Like, he, he could have recited a creed, but that was not going to get his feet moving. Why? Because what ruled the moment was his embodied reality that told him, gravity kills. 
And so what he needed in that moment, right, was not more information. He needed to embody the information that he already had. And so what did he do? He had to start practicing little baby steps. Just little baby steps. And as he did, just these guys, think about that. Little baby steps. The truth began to get down inside of his body. And he ended up getting to where he wanted to go. And listen, the same is true when it comes to your spiritual formation. If you want to change, if you want to progress in the Christian life, you need to realize, yes, truth is necessary for change, but it's not sufficient for change. You need truth. And I am all about truth. I've got a master's in theology. I preach the Bible for a living. I'm all about truth. But more than you just need truth, you need a whole body way of living into that truth. And let's go back. There it is on the screen. This is where the practices come in. You see practices at the bottom of that triangle? Do y'all see that? Practices are how you get the truth down into your body. They are things that literally will rewire your neurological pathways to help you embody with your entire being what you say you believe with your head. And what are the practices that I'm talking about? Next slide. We're talking about things like prayer, meditation, reading scriptures, fasting, Sabbath, giving, chastity, and what the church has historically referred to as the spiritual disciplines, which, listen to me, guys, are simply time-tested practices we see from the life and teaching of Jesus that will help us get the truth down into our bodies. And it is so important that we get this because, listen, what I just said might not sound that radical to you, but I'm willing to bet that you have grown up in churches that have told you the complete opposite of that. Most churches... What we teach is that basically as humans, we are brains on a stick. And so if you want to change, you want to be a better man, want to be a better woman, want to be more like Christ, just memorize this Bible verse and everything will go away. All your problems will go away and you'll become more like Jesus. Guys, if you have ever memorized a Bible verse, you know that's not true. Bible memorization is vital to your growth, but that alone will not change you. Truth, again, is vital. Scripture is absolutely important. But if we're going to change, guys, listen, we have to engage in practices like these that you see on the screen that will help actually begin to move the truth down into our being and towards the right direction. In the words of Dallas Willard, he says this, you cannot experience the life of Jesus apart from the lifestyle of Jesus. Anyone who looks closely at Jesus' life will say, I want to be like that. Yeah, I want peace. I want power. I want patience. I want kindness. I want to be able to love people like that. I want to transform the world like that. You can't become like Jesus if you don't adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So you have to look. What are the practices that Jesus himself embodied, and how do I then do likewise? We need practices. Third, if you go back to the paradigm, not just do we change through truth, not just do we conform more to the image of Jesus through practices, but also we need community. In the most extensive survey on spirituality ever done, the Barna Group recently discovered that 56%, think about this, only 56% of millennials in America right now claim to be Christians. Only 56%. Of the 56%, listen to this, a mere 8% are what they identified as resilient disciples which means they're being changed by Jesus and they're actually changing the world around them. And check this out. In their research, what they found is that of the 8% of people who are resilient disciples, nearly 100% of them all could point to a church they were deeply connected and involved in. Almost all of them. 
This is why when you read the Bible, guys, over and over and over and over and over, it will say that you cannot do the Christian life in isolation. It doesn't matter what kind of personality you have. You have to be deeply connected to the body of Christ if you want to thrive, if you want to grow. The writer of Hebrews, who keep in mind, was writing to a group of people who were persecuted for their faith, the group of people that if they showed up on a Sunday, it would have been physically hazardous to them because they could die by meeting. And here's what he says to them. Do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There's some people that have stopped meeting. Don't do that. Encourage one another, especially all the more as you see the day approaching. What the writer of Hebrews and what Barna Research and the New Testament are saying are just simply this, guys. If you want to grow, if you want to mature, you have to be plugged into community. This is why we have missional communities. This is why we have DNAs. It's not just because we're like, ah, we need something to give people to do to keep them busy. We're all busy. But here's the thing. If you want to be like Christ, community is non-optional in your discipleship to him. So look back on the screen. How are we changed? We're changed by truth. We're changed by practice. We're changed by community. And then right there in the middle, you'll see we're changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit help us change? Well, the Holy Spirit's the one that leads us into truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us of God's love for us and makes it tangible to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us we're family and we're bound together by Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings transformation. He's the one that gives us the power to change. And guys, that's why the Holy Spirit is at the center of that triangle because he's the one that holds it all together. All of that work, truth, practice, community, you take responsibility for that. You take responsibility for making sure that you're immersing yourself in truth and that you're practicing the way of Jesus and that you are involved in community. But as you do that, know the Holy Spirit is the one that is the engine that will drive your change. And then, as we've said before, change will happen, but it won't happen overnight. It'll happen over time, and it happens through suffering. Guys, you cannot microwave fruit. Fruit takes a while to grow. And so don't give up. Trust this process. Stay at it. You're going to do this for, this is just the American way. You're going to be tempted to do this for five weeks, think it doesn't work, and be like, okay, I'm going to punt that and try something else new, some new fad that I saw on Facebook or social media or wherever else. Stay the course. And not overnight, but over time and through suffering, through hardships, we will be conformed more into the image of Jesus. And therefore, I would say our true and better self. So here's just a question I want to ask, and then we'll be dismissed. How bad do you really want this? Be honest with yourself. I was so convicted this past week. Like I talk a lot about how bad I want revival. I want revival. I want to see revival break out in our church, in our city. And then I started studying about uh, William Seymour, a great revivalist, and he would pray five hours a day for God to bring revival. And I was like, yeah, I don't want it that bad. And I just started thinking about my own life. Like, How bad do I really want to be more like Jesus? Like, I can point to all sorts of areas in my life that's like, that's not really like Jesus. That's not like Jesus. I'm like, oh, I want to change so bad. It's like, do I really? I do I really? Or do I just kind of like where I am because it's familiar and it's comfortable? How bad do you want to change? My wife is a great example of someone who wanted to change. There are many times in our marriage where she'd say, yeah, I want to change. I want to be different. I want to be healthier. And she'd talk about that every now and then. But she came to a place where she's like, enough's enough. I'm changing. I want to be different. And how did my life change? Think about this. She changed first by facing the truth. I can change. I can be healthier than I am right now. 
I can deny myself of some instant gratification. And if I do that, I'll actually experience greater freedom in the future as a result. So she embraced truth. My wife also changed through practices. She began to actually put on her running shoes and go out and put one foot in front of the other. Kind of you saw Adam, right? And just embodying that truth of, oh, if I will count my calories, oh, if I will say no to maybe that, that second helping, oh, if I will, then guess what? Yeah, like, man, this is true. Like, I do begin to experience what I have been told I can experience. She changed through community. She had people around her. Ambria McGarry was one of them, and Emily Allstead, both in our first service, who would just encourage her and build her up. In times where she was like, I want to throw in the towel, and I feel like I've taken one step forward and two steps back, and I was slower today than I was yesterday. And they'd be like, don't give up. Don't quit. Stay the course. And then ultimately, she changed through the power of the Holy Spirit, who was holding it all together and giving her the self-control and all the power that she needed to change. And so as we end, just realize, man, like, this is how it happens, guys. Megan had a work to do, and God had a work to do. Megan was able to change the power of the Holy Spirit, but she was not able to change apart from effort. And by the way, let me say this, not to discourage you, but just to kind of like, this is reality. This is an effort she has to continue to put forward, lest she actually digress. Does that make sense? So this is not a one-and-done type deal. We want that so bad in our culture. Give me like five easy steps that if I take that, then I'm done and it's all over. Like, guys, there's a thing called the second, what's it, the law of thermodynamics, which is this idea because we live in a fallen, broken world, everything falls apart without a lot of work put into it. Your marriage, right, everything. And so this is not like, like oh, I just do this for a couple of weeks and you'll be good to go. No, this is about a lifestyle change. And that is why Jesus... When he tells us in Matthew to be his disciples, he says, look, this is what it takes to be my disciple. Pick up your cross and follow me. That means, I mean, you think, everyone would have known what that meant back in the day. To pick up the cross is like, pick up your electric chair, basically is what he's saying. Like, you're, you're, the old self is dead. You're going to now bring all of your life, not just your Sunday, but every day under my lordship. And he says, if you will do this, if you'll try to find your life and just live however you want, you're going to end up losing your life. But if you will lose your life for my sake, then you will find deep and lasting life. And that's what Jesus has on offer for us today. If we'll partner with him in the work he wants to do, through a lot of grace and a little bit of grit, you guys can experience true and lasting, deep, abundant life with Jesus. And so here's how I want to end today because I know if I'm not careful, a message like this can be about try harder to be better or, or it can leave you feeling a lot of shame and guilt over where you're not. So let me, just, let me just read this over you, or I guess quote it over you. This is from Acts 13.38. Please hear this today. I really believe this is a, this might be the most significant moment in the whole teaching right here. In Acts 13.38, Paul says this, Through this man Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Do you know what that means? That even if you have botched everything that we just talked about, even if you feel like you're just that far in your discipleship of Jesus and you feel like I should be so much further than I am right now, if you have trusted in Jesus, you are fully forgiven, which means there is therefore now no condemnation. God is not looking at you in disgust this morning and thinking, why can't you be better? You are fully loved. You are fully accepted. You are forgiven. And he's not going to love some future version of you better than the version that's sitting here right now. So this isn't about earning God's love. And secondly, Paul goes on and he says, through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And then he says, by him, everyone, listen to this, 
By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. Is there anything you need to be freed from this morning? If so, through Jesus Christ, you can experience the freedom you're longing for. You can change. You can grow. You can mature. That's a promise from Scripture. Forgiveness and freedom. And here's what we do every week, guys. Don't, don't start taking communion yet. We're going to transition to communion, but I, it can be very distracting for others that maybe don't know what we're doing, so just sit and listen for a second. The reason Jesus gave us communion because he knows that we need to embody forgiveness and freedom. Think about that. If you ever thought about why did Jesus give us communion to remember what he did for us? Like, why didn't he just say wear a cross necklace? Wouldn't that have been easier? Like, just wear a cross necklace or get a cross tattoo, whatever, you know, somewhere, like, and you just always remember what he did for you. Why did he say you need bread, you need juice, or in that case, wine? Because he knows we need to take the truth and embody it because we're not just brains on a stick. And so that's why this is so important every week. So don't rush past this. This is something that Jesus has commanded us to do. And so this week, as you partake of it, remember, as you take the piece of bread on top and you take the juice, remember the bread represents the perfect life of Jesus on your behalf. Your life might be a mess. You're still loved perfectly by God because Jesus was perfect on your behalf. Remember that. Remember as you take the juice that you are forgiven of your sins. Jesus shed his blood. He died the death. You deserve to die for your sins, so you no longer have to. Take that and embody the truth. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, man, I pray today that will change. As I said earlier, you become a Christian when you trust Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. I beat up on this myth almost every week because I just know that it's, it's so easy to forget this. But guys, if you don't want to give Jesus this life, you're not going to get him in the next life. There are some of you in here that you think you're going to heaven because you don't want hell. You don't go to heaven because you don't want hell. You go to heaven because you want God. And if you don't want to sit in the presence of God now, you don't want to talk to God now, you don't want to worship God now, you're not going to want to for all eternity. And so would you just be honest about that today and then just know this, listen, there is nothing that would keep you from becoming a Christian this morning apart from your own pride and apart from your own fears. Bring whatever you have to him today, no matter how messed up, how confused, how broken, how whatever, bring it all to Jesus and lay it at his feet today and say, Jesus, I've tried doing things my way. I've been trying sexually. I've been trying financially. I've been trying with my career. I've been trying with my marriage. I've been trying to do it all my way, and I recognize it doesn't work anymore. I want to submit all of my life to you. And know that he is not going to say, well, I'm sorry, first you're going to have to read through the Bible in a year. Sorry, you're going to have to be more faithful in your Sunday attendance. You're going to start tithing first, then I'll consider it. No, he'll take you as you are with open arms. And if you want more information about how that happens, what to do, next steps, I'll be here, Chuck's here. Anybody in here who's following Jesus can help you. And so I would encourage you to connect with them. Um, with that, let's invite the band forward. And we will take communion. Um, the way it works here is just stay seated, prayerfully take of communion. And then when you're ready, you can stand and we'll sing another song together with the band and then we'll be dismissed after a blessing for the road. So let me just pray over us in this time.
God, thank you so much for everyone who's here in the room. I thank you that they took the time to be here today. I know that honors you. That shows that that they want to grow. They want to become more of the people you've created them to be. They've made sacrifices to be here. And I know it may not be, but it's a great sacrifice in the grand scheme of things, but it's still a sacrifice. So I just honor that. I know that you do as well, Lord. And I just pray that right now that you would surprise them with your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your love, that you would take whatever lies they're believing in their head, the world's fed, fed them, that they're not worthy or they can never change or this is just the way they are because that's the way their mom was. Or, And Lord, you just replace that with truth. And I pray if there's anybody here right now who is not your child, um, that you would just capture their attention, capture their imagination, capture their heart and help them to see that they can come to you as they are. And I pray that as a result, that you would save them, help them to taste and feel the forgiveness and the freedom that is completely theirs in you. And it's in your name that I do pray and ask these things. Amen.